Hi, and welcome to season one of the Mental Fitness Podcast with me, Anthony Taylor. This is the podcast where we look at what it takes to be mentally fit. That intersection between mental toughness, emotional intelligence, and good mental health. We interview some of the best people from the sporting, business, and psychological worlds to bring you the stories and suggestions on how to build your mental fitness. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week. As I get more tired, whether that's because of work, because of not sleeping well, because of training too hard, other things creep into my life and I'm not as mentally tough. And so I absolutely think that by building mental toughness in all of those aspects, you're able to to increase your mental toughness. But also you need to be able to build that level of mental toughness, which is knowing, actually, I need to relax, I need a rest. And I think that's almost the, the uncomfortable truth for many of us is that we are all human and we can't keep pushing ourselves at 100 miles an hour. So if you like what you hear over the rest of this episode, then please join the conversation with me on Instagram at anttaylor72 or on LinkedIn where you can find me under Anthony Taylor Mental Fitness. And please subscribe. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. So welcome to another edition of the Mental Fitness Podcast. Today, I am really excited to be talking to uh, a gentleman called Matt Wilkinson, who I've known for a while. Matt is uh, an interesting person in terms of he's made that leap from the corporate world into running his own business. And Matt runs uh, something called Striven Marketing. He is a marketing strategist and educator, and is also a visiting fellow at the Cranfield School of Management, which is incredibly impressive. And uh, in his spare time, Matt does and competes in a lot of sort of Spartan races and, and those kind of uh, adventure races. And um, so I'm really interested to, to talk to Matt today. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Really, really um, honoured to be here. Oh, not at all. So Matt, start off with, as I start off with every podcast, asking my guests, which is, what does mental toughness mean to you? Well, I think in the core, it's for me, it's what it enables, which is it enables you to perform day in, day out. You know, so if we look at, you know, mental toughness, it's the, for me, it really is, it is the ability to, to get up in the morning with a purpose, go out, try and achieve the goals that you're chasing after, whether they be short-term or long-term, and take steps in the right direction. If you get knocked down, it's about being able to get back up again. And it's a, it really is it's just that ability to, to live and operate in today's world. And, you know, especially over the last 12 months or so, that hasn't been easy for everybody. So when have you needed mental toughness in, in your life? So there's been, I mean, I think we need mental toughness every day. Um, the reality is, is that sometimes those, those muscles, if, you, if, we, if we think of mental toughness as a muscle, you train it, it gets stronger, but you need to relax it for it to grow and recover and for it to actually be able to build up. Um, so there's been a number of times I've needed to, to use mental toughness um, from you know, when I was climbing Kilimanjaro back in about 2009 through the MBA and then through a number of times uh, when, I, when I thought I was struggling at work and what I was really struggling with was probably a lack of um, enjoyment in what I was doing. I was just unhappy with being part of the organization. And there's been a pattern through my CV of lasting two, two and a half years before realizing that this wasn't for me. And 
So, you know, I'm really fortunate now to hopefully not be in that cycle anymore and have removed myself from that cycle. And any changes I can now make can be a bit more evolution rather than revolution. And that's how we met, isn't it? We did some work together around your transition from the corporate world to what you're doing now. And, and I know you were, as you alluded to, you weren't particularly feeling fulfilled or happy there. And you've chosen to take that leap from the security of a corporate paycheck and a good one, because I know you were heading up the marketing for various organizations to doing what you do now, which is a, as you know, a marketing strategist and educator and actually someone that, um, and we're going to talk about this, doesn't necessarily have a defined label attached to that. But how, how was making that transition? And how important was identifying your purpose and being able to make you to take that, that risky transition from employee to self-employed? Well, it's a really difficult, I mean, it's a really difficult place to find yourself in when you know you're not happy. And I think the, the first piece of self-awareness that I had to really uncover, and, and you know, I have to be, you know, say thank you for, for that conversation that we had. I remember being sat in a car saying, Anthony, it's all going wrong. Um, <laughs> and the, the the question I think that was really important is, what? how am I measuring my success and what am I actually looking for out of my life? And I think one of the biggest things that we, that we sort of conflate success around is it's got to be up the corporate hierarchy. We've got to have the job title. We've got to have these measures that essentially stroke our egos. Uh, on, the, on the flip side of that, we've got what is it that we actually want to do with our lives? And very often those two don't go hand in hand. And so what is it we want to like? We want to be happy with our families. We want to have enough money to pay the mortgage and have food and go on a holiday. But the reality is, is that, that really we work to do to get those things. And if we were to go back to, you know, the, the Stone Age, we'd be going out hunting and we'd be digging into caves for those things. Um, okay, we probably wouldn't be flying off on holiday. But apart from that, those things are, you know, what we need from life in, and what we think we want are very different things. So it's the difference between what's what we want and what's good for us. And so being able to understand, you know, uncover what was good for us versus what we thought we wanted and what, what I thought I wanted was really, really important. So that was the first thing. The second was then, can I make a leap of faith that I can do something and I can, that there's a different path. And, you know, we'd had a series of conversations at different points where, you know, the first time I wasn't necessarily happy and we sort of said, I was questioning my, my mental toughness and resilience and turned around and said, hang on a second, you're putting up with X, Y, and Z, you're doing these things and yet you're still not happy. So does that just mean that you're not happy? So what are we going to change? So I made some changes and that still didn't fix the underlying problem that I, I guess I was um, I was encountering. And so when we came up came up to that again, it took that conversation to say, where's the pattern i'm seeing a pattern here are you does that does that make sense and once you realize that that's a pattern you say well there's maybe there's a different way you know there is there has to be a different way and then it's a case of just finding the courage to to bet on yourself and go right i've got x amount of runway what are the things that i need to do to prove that i can make this work and uh, very early on I, I i realized that what i needed to do was to make a few sales on my own i needed to to look at trying to build a couple of uh, relationships within to some of the wider networks that I could um, I could operate in. So, so one of the things that I'm 
So I kind of have two main revenue streams. One is through a cloud-based agency called Up There Everywhere, where I work as a marketing strategist within the life science, you know, the life sciences world. And that allows me to, you know, choose the projects I work on to a later, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, and to, you know, to really work amongst a community of people that I get to, you know, we get to self-assemble into teams, which is fantastic. And the other is that I get to work in Cranfield, uh, Cranfield University, where I, you know, do a range of activities from, from tutoring exec MBAs and, and MSCs through the, the level seven apprenticeships or senior leader side of things. I supervise MSC theses and students and, and do some teaching as well. And so I get a really nice balance and a really sort of balanced portfolio of things I do. Plus I have a few clients of, of my own privately, just sort of one to, you know, one to one where I offer probably more coaching and advisory rather than consultancy, if you will. Um, but that really, I, I knew that I needed to have a, a balance and be able to tick off a few boxes. Can I do something over here? Can I do something over here? And so, again, I wasn't setting myself numerical targets. What I was setting myself were uh, targets of can I build relationships to get, you know, to, to, to start build, be, becoming part of bigger organizations, bigger, yeah, bigger networks, if you will, of ways of, of ways of doing things. And I was fortunate that both of those two plays, you know, the big plays that I, was, I wanted to make came off. Uh, and at the same time, I had a very clear, clear plan of a series of steps that I needed to do. Uh, needed to go on and this comes down to I guess so stoicism um, partly stoicism partly maybe some of the the Sandler training so some of the Sandler sales training that I know that we've both been on um, and making sure that I was focusing on behaviors and activities rather than outcomes so making sure that I, I had clear things that I was doing every single day to build momentum to you know to make sure that I was uh, I was moving in the right direction. And so I could hold myself accountable for something that wasn't just, here's a paycheck. And that was really, really important. And it kind of comes down to something that Abraham Lincoln actually said, so that you can't escape the, uh, escape the responsibility of tomorrow by avoiding it today. And so it was really by making sure that you're saying, I'm responsible for paying the bills in X number of time. I'm only going to give myself this much runway. Even if I can afford to, to give myself another couple of months, I'm not going to let myself. So I've got to make things work within this time period. And so that was really, really important for me. Having that clarity around what your goals and expectations were, is that right? Yeah. So it was a case of I gave myself three months to essentially set myself up. And then I gave myself three months to be making sure that I wasn't impacting the, the family finances at all. And if I could do that, then I knew I could I could make this work. Unfortunately, I was able to do do all of that in, in shorter time frames. How much you know? A lot of the time when we're making these risky, you know, risky or we're making these decisions, it is about balancing risk. How much risk were you prepared to take, and and how how did you find having those conversations with your wife and and, and balancing that out? Yeah, risk tolerance is a really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting question. I, I suppose many people would say I was fairly comfortable with risk. Um, you know, when I was at, at university, I used to mountain bike, and a couple of times we'd take our big bouncy downhill bikes off to the Alps, and we'd go up the sketch ski lifts, and we'd head down with like complete lunatics. So I guess from that perspective, you say I had a fairly high personal risk tolerance. Um, when it came to the person, you know, the financial side, I've probably always been more cautious and conservative 
but I think I was able to to have those conversations and say look this isn't working I've got to make a change and and even when I went down the path of trying to to make this work I was still I still had feelers out with a few you know recruitment consultants and I still went through a few recruitment processes and what I found there was a consistent pattern that I enjoyed meeting the people and having conversations but that route wasn't exciting me and I just followed what excited me and what I where I felt there was a longer term future for for me in um, those conversations with you know particularly with my wife were you know were obviously a bit challenging um, Charlotte was incredibly supportive and I think that the most important thing was just being open and honest and she, you know she really she really wanted to make sure that she had a you know a happy husband because that would be better for both of us um, so you know there's a there's a lot of gratitude there for for being able to to make that leap and not say no we've got to have we've got to have x amount of income coming in and that's interesting isn't it i think we talk about you know when we talk about mental toughness and the four c's model that i um subscribe to you know we look at control and focusing on those we look at the commitment bit which i think you've alluded to there in terms of you know breaking things down you talked about a runway and having certain things that you knew you need to do by why when and so on um, and then there's the risk bit, which is around uh, challenge mindset, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, learning from your failures, and then the confidence and the abilities. But I'm increasingly wondering where purpose and values fit within mental toughness and how important they are. And I wonder, what are your thoughts on, on where they are? Do you, I think they kind of sit somewhere in the middle. So how important were, were identifying what your purpose and what your values were in, in, in helping you to take on that risk and change career? One of my favourite books is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And I say, say favourite, it's probably one of the hardest books to read ever just because it's so emotionally harrowing. But through that, you know, Viktor Frankl talks about how really with when you have meaning, you can do anything and you can put up with anything for, for a purpose. And I think the biggest problem with people that are struggling with perceived mental toughness issues, if you will, or whatever it is, is the fact that they is, is making sure that their purpose is actually aligned with what they're doing. And so my purpose became, became quite basic, really. So when it looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it became down to, can we survive? Can we keep a roof over our head? Can we put food on the table? You know, it was, can we make sure we're putting the, the, the pay in the mortgage? So actually, I dialed the purpose back quite a long way to actually, can we survive? That's probably been lost a little bit over the last year now where I've actually been able to, to sort of start looking up a bit more, but it's still something that when it comes to it, what's the purpose of this? The purpose is to actually survive. So everything I do from a, you know, from a revenue generation perspective is to put food on the table or to pay the mortgage. And that, that really helps. So why are you doing this? because it pays the bills and that direct linkage between any perceived difficulty with the work itself actually links back to I can pay the bills I can put food on the table whereas I think in a, in a when you're doing a job and you've got a salary the the purpose of putting up with specific challenges I think gets gets watered down so you're never quite there's a disconnect there and for me that that caused that that wasn't as comfortable so i feel much more comfortable feeling knowing that i have a you know the purpose that i have is to get up in the morning work 
do the best I possibly can for, for clients and for, for students and apprentices and really make sure that I'm, that I'm, I, you know, I keep in mind that each of those convers, you know, each of those things fit with a bigger goal, a bigger challenge and a bigger purpose. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You talked about Sandler uh, and I know we've both been on the training and I know I found it incredibly powerful for a number of ways. I know it's sales training, but actually I took us so much more from, from what David Sandler created. And one of the things that I still use a lot in my work is IR theory. And for people that don't know it, it stands for your identity versus roles. And we have our identity about who we are and we have the roles that we play. You know, we're husbands, we are you know, brothers and sisters, not sisters, brothers and colleagues and all those kind of things. What impact did understanding IR theory have on you? And how, what impact or what role did that have when, when you were realizing you were unhappy with your corporate life? I mean, that's a great question. And Sandler, the, the Sandler training I went through um, with our mutual friend, Tom Mallard, um, you know, help put a label to something that, and, and help me explore something that I, I think I've been sort of witnessing for sort of probably about 20 years. Um, it takes me back to the first time that I was made redundant back in 2008 or so, or even probably even before that, probably 2006, where essentially what I realized was that I'd been introducing myself as I am, and at the time, I think it was, I am the you know, I am the, the, the science editor of uh, drugresearcher.com. So I was in a, you know, I was working as a science journalist. We were all made redundant. And the, the challenge that, that I had all of a sudden was that I didn't know who I was. I'd always been a student. I'd had a job. I, I, I'd had two jobs at once. And then all of a sudden I didn't know what I was doing. And, and that for me left me feel very, very much at sea. And so I started doing bits of freelance and picked up bits of work here and there. And um, it got me into a practice of every year, at least recreating my CV to, to help me start looking at what have I done for myself? Where, what have I achieved in the past year? So what, what can I add to my CV over the last year and help me keep that, but also to help me look at the fact that these are all things that I've done. So if I was to look at a new job, I could apply for it and it was more or less up to date. Obviously went to the NBA and got crown field back in 2010. And that, that was a life-changing experience in itself. Really helped me build a lot of self-awareness and mental toughness in going through that process. But I think it also, you were around a lot of people that had specific views as to what the future looked like. And I probably had a lot of views about what the future should look like misplaced whether that was from other people suggesting things or just my own interpretations of I'm going to do this I'm going to work in corporate and I'm going to do a certain you know these are going to be the things that I'm going to do and I want to achieve as I then went through those I started realizing that actually yeah I can do this or maybe I'm not so good at some of these aspects as well but am I enjoying doing it that made me unhappy in my identity because I wasn't happy in my role and one of the things that I'm, you know, I think we all still struggle with, but I certainly struggle with is making sure that I separate the, the job from how I feel at the end of the day. And so the, the key thing, you know, I try to do is I try to make a couple of notes in the morning as to the things I want to achieve. Um, and I try and make a couple of notes about the things that I've, I have achieved and uh, what went well, what didn't, and then what I've got to do tomorrow, kind of at the end of the day. So I try and bookend my day with kind of a, 
it's not so much journaling. Um, it's a practice I probably should do more of, um, but I, it's definitely a practice of kind of planning and reflection that I definitely find very, very helpful. And how does that fit into the identity and role thing? I, I think it's just conscious that you're, the biggest thing is just realizing for me that I'm not the job I'm doing, that there's always more to me about the, the hat that I'm currently wearing. And one of the things that I really like now is that I am constantly wearing different hats, whether that's different hats for different clients or for one minute I'm teaching, the next I'm tutoring or mentoring somebody. And so that gives me a, a huge amount of variety in what I do. And so actually that means for me, I've always got to, to hold my identity separate from the role and remember, right now this is what I'm doing. So how did you go about figuring out your identity, you know, who you are, not Matt the marketing strategist or Matt the, the science journalist or Matt the, and we could talk about it, the uh, adventure athlete. Um, how did you go about finding who matters? Um, I think it's just about being with yourself. Uh, and I know that sounds a bit trite, you know, I've been through a number of um, sort of things where I've done mindfulness. You know, I found reading Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way really helped me introduce myself to, to stoicism, where, you know, I try to, you know, I'm, I'm, I still receive a, an email every day from Daily Stoic. So I get to spend a bit of time looking at um, something from, from past history to look at and, and really start thinking about, OK, how can I apply that in my life? Um, how can I apply that to me? What do I want to be as a person? And so I, don't, I think it's less about who am I versus who do I want to be? Because then we get hung up a little bit on the labels that we give ourselves as to the things that we've achieved. Uh, and anybody that has a challenge mindset and is, wants to enjoys achieving things, we, I think we have a habit of saying, yeah, I did this, but what's next, but what's next? And we keep moving forward. And so for me, a lot of that comes down to what are the values that I want to really want to live my life by. And so, so flipping it from being, who am I to, to what, almost what do I want to be remembered for? And, and rather than maybe that being an achievement, more being the values that I try to embody. Um, and so the side of uh, my, my, my monitor screen, I've got a big white, and those white boards that you can stick in, white board pieces of paper you can stick on a wall. And at the top of it, I've just got the four stoic wisdoms of uh, wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance. Those are sort of four values I try to, to live by and try to keep top of mind. And if things are, things are ever challenging on a call, I know that I, that's where I'm going to look up to. And it will tell me, be wise, be courageous, make sure this is just. Make sure that you're calm and in control. And so that those are the things that I kind of feel that are, are really important. Of course, we all fail at times. Um, but I think we only fail when we don't get back up and try to do that again. And that's interesting. You talked about, you know, what do I want to be remembered for? Which alludes to a practice of, of the Stoics anyway, which is in terms of contemplating our own death but it all which sounds a bit macabre but it actually isn't when you when you look into it but also nod to um stephen covey and starting with the end in mind isn't it in terms of that working back to actually what do i what am i here on this life for what do i want to be remembered for and then what are the values uh, that are going to help me to to be at that point how important would you say values are for you and have you taken steps to formally identify what your values are yeah so we went through i've been through a number of exercises but actually i find that those those four stoic values are 
are the ones that fall best for me and I can interpret them in different ways. Hmm. I guess they're, they're quite high level. So, you know, if we look at wisdom, can I be, you know, can I just be a wise person to somebody to speak to? Can I, can I be that person that, um, that will listen and maybe be able to, 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 to provide at least a, a reflection for somebody at some point? Can I be, can I be courageous enough to make big decisions or to have those difficult conversations when they're needed? Can I make sure that I always do what's right, even when somebody isn't looking at me? Because that's a big one. You know, if you can be make sure that you're, you do what's right, even when nobody knows it's right or wrong, that's important. I mean, that, and that's really important to who I am. And then temperance, can I try and not get angry? Can I try and not get frustrated? Um, that's not always easy. But can I try and buy myself a bit of time between whatever input comes in and the response that I give and make sure that the response is, the, is one that's going to help move me towards a goal rather than just be that that initial reaction. Um, and there was something that, that you taught me, I think it was a uh, something from the military really, where it's, you know, you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold it. And just little practices like that, when you feel yourself getting into those situations, just to break those negative loops, uh, I think are really important. Now, we talked earlier on about, or we mentioned that you like to do um, lots of Spartan type races, you know, all those kind of things. How important is mental toughness in those? They're, they're quite rigorous. I've done one or two, uh, and even as someone who used to do CrossFit, I know how tough they are. So what, what role does your mental toughness play in, in training and doing those? And yeah, so the Spartan races, there are a number of different distances. Um, and so the shortest distance is 5K. And there's also a number of different, shall we say, levels you can compete at. So the first one is open wave, where let's just say it's not that com- it's not necessarily that competitive race. It's more of a fun event. You've then got age group competitive, which is where I sit, which is where I get to sit within my age category and try to hit the top half of the field. Um, and, you know, then you've got the elites, which are just phenomenal athletes. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, even just sort of look at the training logs of some of those guys in, in even the elites. And these aren't necessarily professionals. They're just elites they're you know they're they're just on another planet um in terms of fitness and so you know where does mental toughness come in that well it in the first for me it once i've set myself that goal of i'm going to compete in whatever it is it means that there's a there's training and there's a training plan involved and so i guess the first thing is is it helps me get out the door to do that and then there's the case of I know that these races can be really, really tough. They can be, you know, they can pretty much break you on, you know, and I've seen them break people. And some, one of the ones that we did, the first uh, beast, which is a half marathon distance I did up in Scotland. I mean, that nearly broke me and and my friend. I mean, it was, the weather was, it started off, it was just drizzle. And as we went through it, the, the rain got worse. There was a whole, probably two hours in the middle of it where, you couldn't see more than your hand in front of your face. You didn't know where the course was going. I mean, it was 21K. I think we climbed two kilometres in, in in elevation through this. And I think it took us about seven hours in total. The, the terrain was just incredible. I mean, it was, it, was, it was the most amazing thing to get through. Nearly got hypothermia by the end of it. 
I think it took me about half an hour or more to, to stop shivering at the very end of the course. But it was just, I mean, mental toughness wise, absolutely. Was there ever a question that we weren't going to finish? No. <laughs> we were going to drag ourselves over that line one way or another. But it was it was one of the hardest things I think I've done just because the weather and everything else just, you know, and a lack of maybe fueling and, you know, naivety was were just there. And the terrain was something something different, uh, something I'd never experienced before. Now it's about being able to get up and go and look at the challenge of the terrain. You know, when it was snowing, it was a case of, right, I'm not going to go until it starts snowing because I want to make this as hard as possible for myself. Not because the races are going to, there's going to be snow on the ground because if they happen this year because of COVID, it's going to be the latter part of the year. And, you know, it's not going to be snowing even in November, likely. But it's a case of, well, let's build that side of it. Let's make sure I know what I can do in those conditions. You go out for two hours or more, but you don't set a, I'm going to go and run so, so far in that distance. I'm going to go and run in the snow and put myself through as much of this as I can. And I think that that sort of helps set what I do. So do you think there's a role or there's a link between putting ourselves through physical discomfort that can build mental toughness that we can apply in non-physical aspects of our life? Yes, because I think it, I think it helps. Well, I think it helps in two ways. One, because it helps build your identity for toughness in different, um, in different dimensions. So if you're looking to be able to say, I've done this, I've done that, you know, if, if all of it is, you know, and, and if all of your mental toughness was through fitness, then you're probably not as mentally tough as you think you are. Cause there's actually other aspects that you're, you're not, you're not flexing those muscles in. So it's mm. about building a wider, um, a wider base for that toughness. And, and also for you to be able to see yourself as somebody that can, that can not only cope with a difficult conversation or, or, you know, a challenge at work, but you can also then finish a challenging day at work and then go out and run a half marathon if you have to. Um, and I think that, that, that kind of, that for me builds up a level of what am I going to do today and being able to go for, a, you know, every morning and do some exercise is important for me. Although my coach tells me I have to make sure I do some, uh, I do take a rest day every now and again. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, you've alluded to the things you do with the Spartan races and the physical training and Penny Mallory, the female rally driver that I had on the show earlier on in the season, also believes that you can build resilience, mental toughness by putting yourself through discomfort, whether that's a cold shower every morning like I do or, or other things. But mental toughness isn't just about big biceps and balls, is it? You know, there's a bit of a, I think sometimes I think people um, mistake mental toughness for assuming it's all about that macho image. And it, and it really isn't, is it? No, and I think, uh, you know, there's a really nice, um, really nice metaphor in your book um, about the, the, the fox and the hedgehog. And I think a lot of mental toughness is about self-awareness. The, the, the fox and the hedgehog one particularly speaks to me because it talks about the hedgehog being, you know, not that mentally resilient. It's got a soft underbelly, but it knows it has, so it can adapt to the situation. So when the fox is hunting it, it can curl up into a ball. And I, I notice myself that as I get more tired, whether that, you know, if I'm fatigued, whether that's because of work, because of not sleeping well, because of, um, because of training too hard, you know, if it's a comp, if it's one of those or a combination of those, 
other things creep into my life and I'm not as mentally tough. And so I absolutely think that by building mental toughness in all of those aspects in your, of your life, you're able to, to increase your mental toughness, but also you need to be able to build that level of mental toughness, which is knowing actually I need to relax. I need a rest. And I think that's almost the, the, un, the uncomfortable truth for many of us is that we are all human and we can't keep pushing ourselves at a hundred miles an hour day in day out because otherwise we do break because we all have limits to how much we can put our bodies and our minds and our spirits through and i think that's why holidays are so important and i think it's why covid's been so difficult for people because for most about it's it's changed the boundaries between work and home life now i'm kind of fortunate this is where i work anyway i love working from home but i think the covid there's been an expectation that we will work potentially longer. There's been, there's been increased demands on us. Um, and, and even though I'm quite comfortable, not necessarily dealing with people every day, um, I do still come out on an MBTI test as an, as an extrovert. And I do try and make sure I build in outside of COVID kind of a, a, a a face-to-face -face meeting with either a prospect, a customer, a friend, at least every couple of weeks to make sure that I'm, I'm getting that human contact. And I think that's really hampered a lot of us as well. It's that ability to recharge, put the phone away, not be on a Zoom call. Um, that I think really can be quite a helpful thing to, to be able to do could talk to you for uh, for hours, especially because we, we share this passion and interest around you know, stoic philosophy and understanding that. And of course, Sandler, which has been you know, really useful, more than just a sales methodology. So what I'm keen to, uh, what would you say to somebody who is perhaps unhappy at work, is thinking about taking that leap into doing something different, maybe something for themselves? What advice would you give them? So I think there's a, there's a few things that, the, the first is, try and understand why you're not happy and try and understand what it is that, that makes you happy. And you're not going to have all the answers there, but what are the elements that you need to chase? The, the second question I think we all have to ask ourselves is, do we need space to be able to find those answers? And if possible, buy yourself that space through whatever means necessary, whether that's with gardening leave or holiday or whatever it is, make sure you've got some space to, to sit with yourself and identify what excites you and what doesn't. Um, I've got a number of friends that have done this. One of my friends, Adam Cox, he, he went off and traveled for three months after leaving corporate, came back with a list of about 200 entrepreneurial ideas, all of which he put in the bin. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's about buying yourself space to be able to find out what are you going to do next? I, I think once you've got that space and time to sort of look at, look at your life outside of the nine to five grind that we find ourselves in, it's then about, setting up some key behaviors and some key goals that you you feel that are achievable that allow you to say yes i'm progressing when i when i decided that this was a route i was going to go down i signed up to to go down to bournemouth to a fantastic community called uh, you are the media where mark schaefer um, a bit of a marketing hero of mine was giving a talk so i think that was in i forget it was it was a couple of months away but i knew that by then i needed to have business cards 
because I needed to be able to say, this is this is who I am. You know, here's my card, here's my contact details. And I knew that to have business cards, I needed to have a web address. I needed to have an email address, which kind of meant I needed to have a website as well. So even though many of these things were minimum viable products and they were just one, you know, it's just a one page website. It was just, you know, it was, it was really minimal. I knew I needed to have got th- gone through that process. So I had a date in mind where that's the date that I'm going to give my first business card away. So that, that was that was one of the key things. And then there were a few other things where I knew I was going to go to a meeting over in Sweden and I knew I needed to have business cards and I needed to have made some introductions to a few people and, and set up some meetings for that. And I knew that I needed to have reached out to a few other people there. So I kind of had to, I, I built a plan that was very much around what are the behaviors I need to do? What are the key, what are some of the key meetings you couldn't measure them in outcomes because you didn't know what you were I didn't know where I was going to end up or where those conversations would go. But the other thing is explore with lots and lots of people. I was really fortunate that I, I had a, a really good friend called, called Alan Gerstein, who's over in the US, he's retired now. And, you know, he put me in contact with so many of his connections. And I just had conversations with people. Some of them some of those conversations went places and led to other introductions. Others were just, here's a great conversation for now. You know, I'm connected to them all on LinkedIn now and we catch up. But much of that was just about explore what's possible, explore what's out there, listen to people, talk to people, kind of learn and be learned about, if you will. And I think that process really helped me explore a bit more about, well, what is it that excites me? What is it the next day that I feel I'm really going to f- um, follow up on? And the other, I think the final thing I'd say is get an accountability partner. So what I did, certainly as I was starting off and you didn't have the, the day-to-day set of deadlines, it was, I came up with, a, you know, I mean, it's not my, my thing, it was, it, was a, it was like a three piece, so a, a progress plans and problems type approach. And I found a partner to go through that once a week. And we still have those meetings every Monday morning. Um, where really we're looking at what have we achieved, like celebrating the big wins. What are the plans and what are the problems we perceive? And then going through that process and just having an accountability over how do we move forward, I think really, really helped set the tone for for how I was going to then progress with with this new life. Really good advice there. And I, I particularly resonate with the bit you talked about, finding that space to find yourself. I remember when I decided to make that transition I'd been made redundant. I was 40 years old. I was broke from an unexpected divorce. My mum had recently passed away. So really wasn't in a great place. And then, you know, was unexpectedly made redundant down to organisational change. And I just thought, I've got to take some time out. So I literally had three months to figure out, you know, dad of two kids as well, figure out what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I spent time walking in the lakes and, and doing other things and, as you said, talking to other people and getting their views and opinions, but coming back to what was actually important to me, um, you know, and that might not be viable for everybody. I decided what the hell's a few more grand in debt. Um, you know, it was, but it was that space was so important to figure out what was my why, what was my sense of purpose. So it's great to hear that, you know, you talk about the importance of that as well. So that's been brilliant. Absolutely. And if anybody can see it, I've probably got Simon Sinek's um, Find Your Why, but behind me in the in the background somewhere. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think I can see it. Actually, I can spot it on the shelf. And that's a great book. That really helped me as well. So 
Matt, it's been absolutely brilliant to, to talk to you and catch up. I think you've you know, got a wealth of fantastic information and, and experiences that you've kindly shared with us there that hopefully will uh, people will take some value from. And it's great to see you, great to see you thriving and doing really well and the business going really well. And like I say, a fellow of Cranfield School of Management, which is pretty impressive. So yeah, congratulations on, on everything that you've achieved so far and everything that you will achieve. Well, thank you for inviting me on today. And, and you know, obviously thank you for, for the very, very helpful conversations that we've had um, over the years and, and also for the, you know, for, for the Mental Toughness uh, Metaphors book, which, um, which I've really been enjoyed reading. Just a plug for your latest book there, just, just, just to be kind to you. That's great. And, and no money was required for that, was it? <laughs> no, none, none at all. No, no. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's here. Yeah, this is my own copy that I bought, even though I have a digital version. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Thanks for that. But um, yeah, the, uh, the the request for a signature in it will be uh, will be uh, will be in the mail to you. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem at all. Matt, thanks very much again. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. It only takes a moment but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach. You know, our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness so that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it'd be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Walther, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music.